and welcome to Show and Tell with Christopher Biggins. This is the podcast where I invite one of my friends to show off three things that tell a story from their lives. So in this podcast, I'll ask my guests to show off their most prized possessions and take me through the stories of why they mean so much. Big or small, new or old, their selections are completely up to them. So without further delay, it's time to welcome our next show and teller, Tony Blackburn. Hi, Don. How are you doing? I'm fine, Chris, and it's lovely to see you. It's lovely to see you, too. So, I, have you been busy during this awful pandemic? I have. You know, I'm always busy writing songs, developing musicals, some that open, some that don't. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's probably just as well at the moment because, I mean, theatre has been a disaster, hasn't it? Well, it's been shocking, but there's glimmers of hope. How was your comic career? I blame variety, the death of variety. It was down to me, Chris, it was down to me, the death of variety. I played all the places, you know, Collins Music Hall, Met Edgware Road and all those. And uh, it was, I don't know, I think it helped me a lot because there's a correlation between comedians and lyric writers. You know, neither of them waste a syllable. And, uh, you know, if you analyse a great comedian... There is no wasted, it's all the economic writing. We're the same with lyric writing. It's all like getting to the point. And so when you were a comedian, were you still writing lyrics at that particular point or were you, did that come later? I've said this line before. I'm going to say it again because it always gets a laugh. And this is, <laughs> this is the line. I wrote my first song while waiting for a laugh in Darlington. <laughs> I can appreciate that because I my first three pantomimes were in Darlington. Was it the civic, the, the civic theatre? Was it or uh, no? It was a, just a joke. I mean, I didn't play Darlington. <laughs> now, do you remember when we first met? Um, I don't know. It sounds like a line from Gigi. <laughs> oh yes, I remember it well. <laughs> no, I don't remember. Where were we? I don't know. It must be something theatrical, I would think, because, of course, I knew your brother really well. A very you know, a wonderful he, character. Oh, uh, Michael was the most extraordinary agent uh, ever. I mean, he was fantastic. And I used to do the odd job for him. Uh, you know, there were always sort of things. You see, big as his cash. You could go there. You just, you just do your thing and I give you a lot of money. <laughs> He, he was brilliant. He was marvellous. And wherever you said, wherever the gig was, he would say, where do you live? And wherever, yeah. where, wherever you said, he said, it's about eight minutes from there. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. And of course, uh, when we first met, I met the adorable, gorgeous, absolutely spectacular Shirley, uh, who was such a wonderful, wonderful woman. And it was the, the saddest day when she was taken away from us all. I mean, you must have been devastated. Uh, devastated doesn't cover it. Uh, it's very hard uh, to talk or write about grief because no matter how brilliant you are as a writer, it still doesn't cover it. You know, there's, the, the absence of the familiar is, is unbelievable. You know, it's just, it's just life is never the same. It's just entirely different. That's why I was pleased I wrote my book. I wrote my book, The Sanest Guy in the Room, really as a cathartic thing. You know, I have a memoir out. 
called uh, The Sanest Guy in the Room. And it's done very, very well. It made the bestsellers list. And everything. And the reason it's done well, I think, it's because I talk a lot about Shirley and loss, not just about Andrew Lloyd Webber and musicals and, and all my career, but the fact, one minute I'm talking about James Bond, next minute I'm talking about loss. And I think that's the reason it's been so successful. But also, she was so special. And I mean, she was your rock, wasn't she? I mean, you know, no bones about it. I mean, she was so special to you. I mean, I, I said if it wasn't for Shirley, I'd still be selling ties in a menswear shop <laughs> in Hackney. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Hackney. I'm speaking to you from I Hackney. Ca- I, came, I came from Hackney. I love Hackney. They're three hours ahead or behind. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, uh, we live in Victoria, off just off Victoria Park. I live just off Well Street. Oh, really? The common bit. Yeah, the cheap end of Hackney. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I, 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 I want to move now because we live in a very lovely three-story house, and I've got three flights of stairs with i just had a brand new knee put in it's getting a bit much but anyway so uh hopefully we'll we'll, we'll uh, we've had i've had 35 years i think here and i've seen some amazing changes i mean it's been a wonderful now you know in this podcast i've asked my friends to prepare three items to bring along which mean a lot in their life have you got them ready i have Oh, good. And through our conversations, we're going to learn a bit more about you as you share the stories of your three items. And for each thing, I'm going to ask you for some clues as to what it is. So can you give me your three clues for your first item? One of my heroes. Right. James Bond? No. Uh, Right. Uh, A a musical hero? Yeah, a lyrical hero. A lyrical hero. Uh, American or English? Uh, American. You knew you knew him very. You knew him well. I'm sure. Uh, am I, are we talking about uh, Liz Robertson's yes, husband? Yes, we are. Yes, uh, Alan J. Lerner. Well, Alan J. Lerner, absolutely incredible. I was privileged to meet him through Liz, who's a very good friend of mine, and of course she was the last wife. Yes, uh, he, he was. She? He was married eight times. I. <laughs> One, I love it. He once said to me, he supported more women than Playtex. <laughs> uh, no, it, the, reason, um, the reason I chose Alan J. Lerner, his book, he had a, an autobiography, and in it he has written, how can one lyric writer love another lyric writer? Love Alan. And it's just, uh, it's wonderful, you know, because he was a giant in the theatre. For people who don't know... He wrote My Fair Lady and Gigi and Camelot and many others. Yeah, I mean, My Fair Lady is without doubt the the most classic uh, musical ever. I mean, it's just brilliant, isn't it? I mean, wonderful. But you've you've uh, captured uh, some wonderful musicals in your time. Is there anything you're, you're really proud of? Um, but the one I'm really proud of is the first thing I did with Andrew, which is Tell Me on a Sunday because it was just me and Andrew and it was a sung-through piece. It's a joy to work with the composer only, without, you know, directors and designers. Nothing against these people, but it's something about sitting around a piano with the music man and just the two of you doing it. So what comes first, the lyric or the music? Well, Sammy Khan used to say the phone call. (laughs) 
it, it can vary. I mean, Andrew, the music comes first. With Van Morrison, with Van Morrison, the lyric comes first. Really? So it's different, it's different. I went to Sammy Kahn's funeral. Did you? It, yeah, it's a bizarre story. I was in Los Angeles staying with Joan Collins, as you do. And uh, Sammy died and his wife, a widow, rang and invited Joe to the funeral or what? No, is, is, is it called a shiver? Yeah, shiver, yeah. It's Tita. Yeah. The, I, know, I know the wife, the widow, yeah. Yeah, Tita. Tita's wonderful. I love Tita too. She always says hello when she's in, in England. Uh, but uh, so I went to the, the shiver and they, Tita couldn't get the sound system working in the house. So there was, it was dead, sort of no sound. So I got it working for her and she loved me for that. I mean, it was, it was an amazing occasion. But I mean... To be there for that extraordinary man who was just brilliant. Oh, yes. wasn't he? he wrote so many wonderful, wonderful songs. Yes, marvellous. So uh, is the item done a book, the, the actual book? It's a book? book called On the Street Where I Live. Which he signed for which you. Which he signed for me, yes. The first musical I wrote was called Maybe That's Your Problem, which starred Elaine Page. It's before she was known, and it was the first thing. It was a disaster. Uh, you know, it, it played at the Roundhouse for a while. And it was about a young man who um, suffered from premature ejaculation. It was, at the, <laughs> it was at the time of Philip Roth's, you know, uh, yeah. an, a Portnoy's complaint. Ironically, the show didn't last long either. <laughs> but anyway, when, when the one night Alan J. Lerner came in with John Barry and he put his arm around me and he quoted a line, I rhymed, there's a line in that show which says, um, I still have the stamina to cram in a few dreams. He put his arm around me and says, stamina and cramina, you've got to stick with this. And, you know, um, he said that was brilliant, brilliant rhyme. And it kept me going. It was, it was such a lovely, you know, gee up from, uh, you know, a great man. Do you have to think a lot about a lyric or do, does it just come? No, nothing just comes. Oscar Hammerstein, when someone said to, asked him the same question, he said, well, it involves 50 years of thinking. <laughs> and that's true. That's, you know, you're always, very true. you're always on red alert. Do you have a notepad by the side of your bed? Um, I don't really. Very happen, it doesn't usually happen by in bed. You, you get up. I like to work in the mornings. So I like to write in the mornings. But that's the beautiful thing about, and that's the thing Shirley loved. She always said to me, our marriage, which lasted 60 years, would never have lasted if I was temperamental. If I, <laughs> if I said to her, oh, keep the kids quiet, I've got to write. No, I've got to go to Saint-Tropez. I've got to write this song. It would never have worked. It was the ordinariness and the normalness of our lives that kept it and uh, kept us so happy for so long. So I, there are no rules. You know, when I read that uh, Noel Coward used to go to uh, wherever he was, Jamaica, uh, to write, you know, it, it's such a lot of nonsense. In my, to me, that is. You don't need, you know, you should be able to write in the kitchen. You're right. I've actually sat at the piano in Jamaica, looking out at the ocean uh, that he made, uh, that he performed and, and wrote a lot of those songs. It was extraordinary. I mean, do you admire him as a songwriter? Did you admire him? Absolutely phenomenal, yeah. And the, the most, you know, he's, I love his quotes. I, he was an absolute genius, he was. 
And his, some of his songs live on and they won't go away. No, ever. No, he, he was truly wonderful. I, I, I saw him on his, because we share a birthday. I'm December the 16th and so is he. And on his birthday some years ago, I used to live above the Phoenix Theatre in Charing Cross Road. And he was performing on his birthday. He was doing a sort of uh, a one-man show. So I went to see it and it was uh, it was marvellous. And I met him briefly afterwards. I mean, he was extraordinary man. You're right. Did you ever did you ever do anything with him? Any work with him? No, the only connection... Well, I wouldn't because he doesn't need... He didn't need any lyrical oh, help. Quite, no, I, of but the thing I is, I, I, I yes. did meet him because I used to manage Matt Monroe, uh, the great singer, and Matt was playing the Plaza in New York, the Plaza Hotel, and he came to see him on Matt's opening night. So I was introduced to him, and uh, he was a very, very funny man. He just, at that time, had a spat with... Um, Claudette Colbert said something very nasty about him round about that time, and he, he, I heard him say to somebody, I'd wring her neck if she had one. <laughs> I always admire the the quick wittedness of people like him. I mean, it was wonderful. Uh, now, uh, so Don, what's your next item? Can you describe your next item? Last year, you may know, um, I was very ill with COVID, and I, and I was in hospital for nine days at the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. I, you know, obviously, very very ill. Nine days. Um, when I came out of that hospital. John Barry's widow, Laurie Barry, who lives in Oyster Bay, Long Island, New York, said, I've got to send you something. And she sent me a, a very a breathing apparatus that you blow into and blow up. To, and and you, there's three balls in it. And I've used it ever since, twice a day. And it's, it's I'd just say it's kept me alive. But when I was ill, it expanded my lungs it's such a simple thing, but I use it twice a day and have done for the past year. And uh, every time I look at it, I've, yeah, it hasn't saved my life, but it, it certainly did be a lot of good. How marvellous. What a nice thing for her to do. Yeah, well, we, we go back a long way. And, uh, yeah. and she's always on. A, she's very well connected with American doctors. Her brother-in-law is a doctor. Her father was a doctor. So she's very up on all that. And she said, you've got to breathe. You've got to do it every day to get your lungs right. So that, that's the other one. I think that I, 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 can, I understand that completely because, uh, you know, my, when, when I, my period of drama school, two years at Bristol Theatre School, we used to do classical ballet every morning for two hours and we would do classical singing. And all of that helps. I mean, the singing helps the uh, development of the lungs. So much. I mean, you know, you, 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 we didn't need in those days microphones. I mean, I, I mean you know, and of course, it's, you, the person I immediately think of is Ethel Merman, who could sing like nobody's business. She was a foghorn. Did you ever work with her? No, but uh, I mean, I knew her and I've, I've studied all these people. Someone, Bob Hope once said about her, um, she can hold a note longer than Wells Fargo Bank. <laughs> 
she was one. I thought she was one. I saw her at the London Palladium, and uh, it was an experience. And I, but the thing that reminded me most not was wasn't the, so much the singing, which was fantastic, but the fact she moved so fast across that huge stage. She just went up and down, you know, and her, she never seemed to stop. And singing out, it was just wonderful. I, mean, I was just so impressed. I must by ask. Her. I can ask you a question, can't I, Chris? Why not? Yes, of course you can. Of course you can. Tell me about musicals you've been in. Musicals, and not not pantos and things. No, no. Well, I I did a musical years ago at Guildford called Vanity Fair, uh, which was uh, a really lovely period piece, and I played the sort of villain in it, who eventually gets Becky Sharp. Becky Sharp has to marry me because I'm the last one on the list. And of course, I'm not very attractive. I'm, uh, in fact, very far from being attractive. So she she has to take me because I'm rich. And there was a wonderful moment at the end of the play. We were both sitting on stage looking at each other, rather looking away from each other. And at the last minute, she says, all right, I'll marry you. And I turn and say, thank you. And she has another line in the play, the last line of the play. And at the last matinee, uh, she turned, we were both looking away from each other. She turned and said the line. And then as I turned, I had fuck off written under my eyes. And uh, very naughty of me. And she corpsed and never got the last line out. And the curtain just came down. I don't think the the, uh, the producer was that pleased, but it was it, it was a you know one of those moments, uh, which was wonderful. And then of course I did uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, uh, w- which I loved. Eighteen months at the London Palladium. Oh my God! And every night, when the orchestra started up, I I thought of Judy Garland, dangling her feet in the pit, just about to sing. Oh God! It was because that theatre that theatre is so extraordinary, isn't it? I spent my whole youth there uh, because of Johnny Ray, Frankie Lane, Kay Starr, um, all those, and Danny Kay, all those great people. I, I loved the Palladium. When I go in there, I still get excited. Yeah, if there's something about it, isn't there? I mean, it's unbelievable. It is. It's the best one. I think, I think it's the best one. There's a, a wonderful poster uh, which they brought out when I was there, and it names, it's got pictures of really big superstars down the side, and then it names about 200 people who've appeared there. And my name was on it, so I've got it outside here. So yeah, I really treasure it, because there I am with all the greats. I mean, it was absolutely wonderful. That's lovely. Well-deserved, Chris. Yeah, oh, well, I, I love doing that. What else have I done, musical-wise? Um well, you don't have to go on. I've got the best answers from you already. Yeah, oh, good. Thank you very much. You've saved me. <laughs> you have a, an amazing memory, though. That's still with us, isn't it? Yes, I do have a... Thank God. You know, we're very lucky. Getting older, it, it, it doesn't worry me. As long as you're well, as long as you can walk and you enjoy your food and you sleep, you know, it's... I think you have to adjust your fantasies as you go along. Yes. <laughs> How many? You got, is it two or three? Two boys sons. You got? Two sons. Two sons. And I have grandchildren and a couple of great grandchildren. No. I'm remarkably old. Yeah, really. Yeah. Well, I got married at twenty, and I'm now fifty-two. I can't quite work that out. <laughs> you look thirty-two. Yeah, well, I feel I feel about forty-five inside. <laughs> Are you desperate to go away, by the way? Are you, it, 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 you know, absolutely on tenderhooks to go abroad or are you happy to stay here? Well, funnily enough, just before I joined you today, 
I had an email from Michael Riedel at the New York Post. Do you know him? Have you come across him? Yeah, yes, I have. Saying, you know, when you come into New York, and I said, as soon as Boris makes his mind up, because I'd love to, I'd, I'd, I miss New York, but I, no, I'm quite happy in England, really. It's, and uh, I think the older you get, the, I've made a, a deal with myself. I no more will I get flights, at, you know, to start at five o'clock in the morning and all night flights. I think that has changed. I never used to worry yeah. about things like that. But, you know, as you get older, you want to leave at 11 o'clock. <laughs> 11 o'clock flight, that's the earliest. That kind of thing, you know. So now we're going to have a, a break now, a short break, uh, when I'm going to show you something from my own collection and uh, you're going to give us uh, your third item. So stay with us for that and we'll be back after this. So now I'm going to give you three clues as to my item. Now, my item means a lot to me. It was given to me by a very special woman, a woman who I worked with, a woman who I loved, a woman who uh, sadly lost her husband and then lost her own life. And uh, I was devastated. And I absolutely love this particular object. Well, <laughs> not easy, is it? My first name that came to mind, which is wrong, was Barbara Windsor, only because I know you were great friends yeah. with Barbara. Um, she lost her husband. A famous, was an actress, obviously an actress? No, it was, uh, she. well, she was an actress, but she was more known as a, a fantastic singer and presenter of television programmes. She was a big, a big star in the 60s. She was famous for being, uh, loving the public. She had a mane of red hair. Was she very famous? Hugely famous. She loved a date. Cilla Black. Yes, well done. Well done. She gave me this uh, Clarice Cliff uh, mask, which I think looks a little like her. And I treasure it. I keep it in the bedroom and I absolutely love it. And it's a, it's a beautiful piece. And Clarice Cliff is, is as you know, famous for... Uh, things like bowls and cups, and, and but not so much things, something like this. So I really, really love it. And of course, she was... Uh, did you ever write anything for, for Scylla? Yeah, she recorded a few of my songs. Funnily enough, she recorded a very unusual song of mine. She only... Uh, it, she sang the title song in a film called Work is a Four-Letter Word, which Peter Hall directed... And it was quite prestigious, and I wrote the title song, and she sang it. But I've, I've, she sang other songs of mine. She was a lovely was girl. I, I knew Bobby very well as well. Yeah, Bobby was lovely. I mean, he was, and also, what was extraordinary about Bobby was that he really looked after her. She didn't do anything, and the tragedy was when she he died, she didn't know what to do. I mean, she rang me the night of his death uh, about midnight. And said to me, I don't know what to do with the dogs. And because she he fed the dogs and took them for walks and he didn't she didn't know. I mean, she never carried she never carried money. I mean, he did everything for her. I mean, it was a, a tragedy. That's what happens when you're married and, and you have a situation like that. So when I lost Shirley, I have never done anything from a domestic point of view. As far as um, electricity bills, gas bills, gardeners, anything to do with that. 
and and money. She did all that as well. She she wrote the checks out. So it's a hell of a lot to do. I know exactly that is uh, one thing that I found very difficult about losing someone is I come across these little notes that Shirley wrote that are, as you do uh, just her handwriting. It says must call dentist, things like that. You know, I'm writing down t- tomatoes and. And do you think I can? I can't throw those notes away. If you've never loved someone or never been that happy, you might say, "What's he on about?" You know, it's it's mawkish. But if you have lost someone that you've been together for a long time, you don't want to throw their handwriting away. And also, you you gave the impression, and I know it's a true impression, that you were absolutely loved each other so much. We had the perfect life, Chris, and. Um, since I've been on my own, which is now over three years, I don't think I've come across anyone who's had a completely happily married life. Most people have been, it's their third wife or it's their second wife or they've split up. And, uh, you know, ours was, uh, you know, too good to be true. And you don't realise until it's over because I've been going out with other women, not on dates, but just as you do with friends yeah. and things like that. And, um, you know, it's never, you know, it's, yeah, what can you expect? You know, you can't expect to get those same feelings from it. It's, uh, you know, it, it's a difficult thing, but you have to learn to roll with the punches. Thankfully, I have a marvellous family and they look after me. My son's phoned me 10 times a day. <laughs> you all right? <laughs> Are you all right, Dad? You all right? <laughs> and if I have a cold, oh, Dad's got a cold, you know, <laughs> get the chicken soup ready. Do you think it's the uh, age we're living in? Because you married when you were 20 and you've been together all those years. And nowadays, it's people can't seem to stay together for four or five years. I had dinner about a year ago with David Walliams. And he said to me, Don, no one who gets married today will be married for 60 years. You, yeah. you are the last one. Your generation is the last one who've had long marriages. In fact, I don't know, and there's only one other couple in show business that I know who've been married a month or two longer. Yeah, very good. I, I just, I, I don't know. My, my parents were together for a long time, but I think in a way, if they'd been a little, they might have parted for all sorts of reasons, but they stayed together and they were very happy at the end. I mean, it, it's, it's, I'm always amazed, I don't know about you, that two people can ever get together. Because we're so different. Well, it, it helps when you meet when you're young. Yeah, I think you're probably right. If you meet people when you're in your teens or 20 or 21, you grow together. You, you, it's easier. Nowadays, you, you know, certainly if you get older, yeah. it, it, it isn't the same. It's, you, you, no. you become not, you know, it's a mad rush when, you're, when you fall in love when you're younger. Yeah. It's too considered when you're older. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Neil and I have been together now nearly thirty years, which is quite a, quite amazing, really, and it's uh, it's as good as it ever was. Um, so now we come to your very last item. So, any clues? A clue? Well, I'll give you a, a very obvious. Well, I'll give you a, more of a difficult one. Crucible. Right. Uh, the play. No. The theatre. Yes. In Sheffield. Yes. And is it 
something to do with a, a show that you wrote that went there? No. Uh, is it somewhere you've performed? No. <laughs> I'll tell you, shall I? Or? Yeah, yes, go on, tell me. Well, the obvious clue would have been snooker. Oh, right. Well, funny enough, I, I know exactly because I did a show there and uh, the snooker was happening next door. I've always loved snooker, Chris. And um, it goes back, my father used to uh, play in a snooker hall in Hackney. And uh, I find it very calming. It's like therapy, only cheaper. (laughs) And the great Jimmy White um, gave me a cue once. Unfortunately, he didn't give me any of his skill. So I'm not a very good one, but I do lose myself while playing snooker. So sometimes just to pot a few balls clears my head. And have you got a snooker table? I do, yes. For anyone who understands snooker, my highest break is 40, which is, you know, it will never get me to the Crucible. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. I enjoy it. Have you ever been out to watch it at the Crucible? I have, but I prefer it on television because you're so so close. I know. It's like tennis. I mean, it's lovely going to Wimbledon, but to watch it on on the television is so much better. Yes. So that's that's my, uh, my weakness. Well, Don, thank you so much for sharing all your wonderful pieces with us. It's been a joy, and I'm such a fan of yours, and always have been and always will be. Thank you very much, Don Black. Lovely to see you looking so well. Uh, Thank you so much. And get well, get even better. Thank you very much, Don. Lots of love. And to you. God bless. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Show & Tell podcast. If you want to hear more conversations like this one, make sure you follow Show and Tell with Biggins on the podcast provider of your choice. And if you'd be so kind as to tell your friends about the podcast, I'd be ever so grateful. You can also follow us on social media. We're at Biggins Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.